Part four of With the American Ambulance Field Service in France Personal Letters of a Driver at the Front by Leslie Buswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pont a Mousson, August fifteenth, nineteen fifteen. Yesterday was a red letter day for me. I was made so happy that I feared something bad must happen to counteract it. The American mail arrived. Twelve letters from H. S., J. H., C. B., C. S. S., S., E. T., etc., and my uncle and mother. I wonder whether you people out there in the sunshine of peace can realize what a ray of joy and encouragement the letters you are writing to us here bring. I got this packet about four o'clock, and being on X duty, took them up there to read. I sat in my car with the sun streaming down over us in that little village semi-blue with soldiers, and started first to contemplate the writing and the dates on the envelopes. A battery of seventy-fives were firing on my left, and we heard the shells whistling overhead, and after a few seconds the boom of the explosion on my right. Even the shells seemed to be singing with pleasure and excitement. Then I was brought back to actualities by the voice of a young French soldier, of about twenty-one, who stood beside me. "'You just have letters?' "'Yes, not even opened yet.' "'All those! You are to be married, perhaps?' "'No, my friend.' "'Surely it is your mother, then, who has written so often?' "'Only this one is from her,' I answered. And then a strange silence fell. I did not feel like speaking, for glancing up I realized that he was still looking at that one letter in my hand. After a few moments, fumbling in his uniform, he pulled out a packet of earth-stained letters. These were from my mother, but I can no longer look for them. She died last month. Perhaps it was that little incident that made me appreciate so tremendously these messages from home. But when I got into bed last night and lit a candle by my side to reread them all, and when my mother's turn came, I found the link with that boy and realized how much he has lost and how he must treasure and find comfort in that little batch of memories in his pocket. They, too, were probably full of anxiety for his welfare, full of encouragement and confidence in his doing his duty as a true Frenchwoman's son. And then my imagination wandered to another side, the letters from the front, the letters of assurance, of counsel not to worry, and next, perhaps the citation, for gallantry, the pride and happiness of those at home. Finally, that most dreaded letter, or the brief announcement in the list of those mort aux champs d'honneur. Are we really living in the twentieth century after nineteen hundred years of teaching of supposed civilization and Christianity? The day before yesterday, after having made several trips with wounded, I had a pressing call to Auberge Saint-Pierre. There the Germans were bombarding as usual, and it was unpleasant. A shell had landed near a kitchen, killing several, and seriously wounding one soldier. He had a hole as big as your fist right through his back. There is a chance if you can get him to the operating room quickly, I was told. It was eighteen kilometers to the best surgeon. So off dear old number ten and I started on our rush for life. Toot-toot-toot! and even the soldiers, realizing that I had a man's life in my care, made a clear way in the road ahead, 
and through village after village without moving the throttle we sped on and on bump 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 what did it matter if i had to shake him about a little he was unconscious and every second counted i hope i won't have a puncture i found myself muttering from time to time finally i turned to the left then another corner and blowing my horn i drew up at the tent in a second two brancadiers had the car unloaded the surgeon in white was washing his hands and thirty minutes from the time my charge was given into my care he was lying on the operating table he may live said the surgeon that was my reward that is why i am happy even here only for this reason one sometimes saves lives and never intentionally kills the other day i went up to the top of mousson i e the hill the other side of the bridge it is under another army division and so we have to get special permission from the colonel but as our section is treated so wonderfully there is no difficulty in procuring it we first stopped at the graveyard and tried to find poor mignot's grave but in that mess of debris overturned sepulchres upheaved tombstones burst open coffins sun-bleached bones and the hundred new-made graves we could not find it we would have continued our search but an officer told us not to stay any longer as we were in easy view of the germans and they might bombard at any moment we started to go to the summit up the hill we climbed and the little mountainside was all pitted with shell-holes some of them most discomfortingly new at last we reached the top and began to look about a few minutes after having asked a soldier some questions we found ourselves surrounded and rather roughly asked for our pass we showed it with the colonel's signature and then followed a hearty laugh when they had to confess they thought our foreign accent was bosh we asked in what direction metz was and there just over the hill to the right of a little tree we stood facing it lay and like some glorious dominating giant stood out the cathedral built by the french for the worship of god and teaching of christianity and now so kept by the germans the race which has set loose the scourge if i could only be in the procession that marches in triumph to metz i must tell you just one more incident the other evening i was walking down the street when an excited shout made me stop and i saw running toward me an old friend one i knew when i was in london now dressed in the blue of france what on earth are you doing here i asked tell me how in the name of all that's possible did you get out to the front he replied and then we set to and talked he is a french artist who lived in london and entered the french army as the english would not have him he knowing i had not passed the military medical could not get over the fact that i had arrived here notwithstanding he dragged me to a group of his friends and we all had a happy half hour then the usual handshake and au revoir as i turned away he followed me i go to carton reserve to-night for some days probably i shall not return whole if i am a bit knocked out you will know and if i am killed my people will know it would be hard for my wife wondering whether i was seriously hurt or not she is about to have a child supposing i am wounded will you post this letter it only says that i am getting on well am but slightly wounded and that she is not to worry 
I add no comment to the story, but I do wish you could realize what trench life means to the infantry when they know they have to go to a hell like the Carte en Reserve. I know what I feel like when I have to drive along a road being bombarded by the Germans, but that is only for five or six minutes. But think of five or six days with scarcely an hour's rest out of the twenty-four. No wonder we have to carry madmen to the hospital sometimes. August 19th. Poor old number 10 has been ill, so I have had her engine down and cleaned it. Now she is running finely. There is an American stationed here who enlisted in the French army. Poor boy, he is only 20. We asked him to dinner. Why did you enlist? Well, I guess I wanted to see some action. Are you satisfied? Satisfied? Well, I came here to see life and movement. All I see in my ditch are worms, spiders, marmites, and torpedoes. So you have changed your mind? No, I guess my mind is the same as when I enlisted. I wanted to see war. I still do. I haven't seen war. I have seen murder and cultivated systematic butchery. There has been a lot of permission for the soldiers here, and they are now returning after their eight days, the first eight days in twelve months, the first time they have seen their wives and mothers for a year, and in many cases they have their first look at their own children born in their absence. One soldier I asked whether his wife was pleased to see him. Ah, he said, you should have seen her cry when I left. But when you arrived, I asked, she was pleased. Ah, mon Dieu, you should have seen her cry when I arrived. August 20th. Today has been a villainous one. The French bombarded the German stores and set fire to some large storage space. We think petrol and stores, perhaps the petrol they sprayed lighted into our trenches, and from twelve o'clock till now the whole sky has been black with smoke. Of course, the Germans made reprisals, and every little town around was bombarded. One shell, which burst where nine persons were sitting dining, killed them all. The telephone bell rings. Two cars wanted at once for L. August 23rd. About 10.45 this morning a German aeroplane came over the town, not 250 meters high. We could see the pilot and observer and the four Maltese crosses on the planes. It was one of the bravest acts I have seen. She was too low for the artillery to open up fire, so the soldiers fired at her with their rifles, and although it seemed as if she must have been hit, the pilot turned around and flew safely back to the German lines. This little incident leaves us with a very uneasy feeling, as we think no German would have taken such risk unless the mission had been very important. He must have seen everything he wanted to. Our cars are fairly conspicuous with their crosses on the top of the canvas. He dropped signals as he flew over our house, and we are wondering just what is to follow and when. August 30th. The Germans, not satisfied with the reprisals they took on the 22nd for the burning by the French of stores and factory at Pagny, again opened up on certain buildings of a neighboring town on August 22. They sent over 150 shells between 2 o'clock and 7, all large marmites, two tens, two eighties, and I believe some larger. The damage done is considerable, but after such a bombardment it was marvelous that anything remained. Over thirty-three shells fell in the road. 
It happened to be my day of repose, and I was asked if I would care to go to Nancy for the day, so at seven o'clock in the morning I appeared in full parade uniform, so to speak, and except that I hadn't the heart to shave off my temporary moustache, I am sure I must have cut quite a figure. Off we went to Nancy, and spent an interesting day looking all over that wonderful town. Salisbury, as you know, has got the Croix de Guerre, and we all felt very proud parading the street with him and his significant ribbon. While the two men with me went to have a haircut, which I happened to feel no impulse to do, I stayed outside in the car. I noticed four Moroccans walking down the street, and casually thought how picturesque their red fezes looked against their blue uniform, when to my horror they stopped by my car and started saluting and bowing and talking so ostentatiously that it took exactly thirty seconds for a large crowd of Nancy inhabitants to collect. The mere fact of being in town for the first time in twelve weeks was quite strange, but to find myself surrounded by a quantity of civilians and the center of attraction was, to say the least, most embarrassing. It was a hot day, and I felt the perspiration pouring down my back as I looked to right and left for a way of escape. But my trial was not over. Horrors! My hand was taken, and all four soldiers solemnly bowed over it and kissed it. I did not know what to do, being anxious not to offend them, nor to add to the amusement of the onlooking civilians. I thanked them in the name of America for the honor they were paying her, and brought down on my unsuspecting hand a renewal of the embrace. Suddenly, joy! What was that? An Irish voice! Sure, young man, at the uncomfortable soul ye are this minute! And an old fellow emerged from the multitude, bristling with the hope of a brawl. However, he calmly joined forces with me, and we presently left the crowd with as much dignity as was possible under the circumstances. From him I heard all about the war, and as much, if not more, about Ireland, as we sat in a public-house across the street. So ended an awkward encounter. Well, we left Nancy about five-thirty. I had bought cakes and various luxuries for the boys, and when we arrived just outside R, about six-thirty, we saw to our surprise the effects of the bombardments on buildings and the road. Uncertain whether to take a chance or not, we drove nearer and were still hesitating when a shell burst a hundred yards down the road and decided us. Not being on duty, we had no reason to go to Pont-en-Mousson, so turning around we went to dinner at Toul. After a good meal we started home, and arriving at my room at eleven-thirty, I was relieved to hear that no one had been injured. Several big eclats, however, had fallen in our garden, and two of our cars had very narrow escapes. A strange thing to me was the sense of dissatisfaction, of subconscious restlessness, I felt while in Nancy. It was the first time for twelve weeks I had been in a civilized town, where everything was going on as usual. It all seemed so artificial, so futile, and aimless. As our car tooted home, I turned around and exclaimed, Oh, Lord, how glad I am to get back again to our dear old peaceful bit of country! Rather Irish, but quite sincere. The other day I had two hours off duty, and McConnell and I went for a walk along the Moselle. We saw several soldiers bathing, and decided it would be a good idea to do likewise. 
It was a gloriously hot day, so the fact that we had no towels was unimportant. I confess I became anglais to the extent of insisting on walking along the bank until we got away from everyone and could bathe alone. At last we found a quiet corner and started to undress, but we had been noticed. C'est les Américains, and before we could realize it, some soldiers were hurriedly preparing to swim in the Moselle with us, so our bath became a real party. I only tell this little incident to show again how ready the soldiers always are to join and talk to members of our little section. September 4th. A sad thing happened the other day to a friend of mine, a poilu who had been helping me to get specimens of perfect empty German shells, those which have arrived but not exploded. The fellow was an expert at dismounting them, a very dangerous task, and when he had entirely emptied them, used to bring them to me. I had many a long talk with him, and he got quite fond of American tobacco. Poilus don't usually care for English tobacco. He used to like to tell me about his girl, and how happy they were together before the war, and how the day peace was declared he was going to marry her. Lately I had noticed he looked depressed, and one day I found out the reason. I was in his little cellar, sitting on a block of wood, talking of America, and he of France, when the postman came to the door. He looked at my friend, who had become alert, and, shaking his head, said, Pas encore, and murmuring salut to me, continued his walk with his precious letters from home. My friend became very white, and presently confessed to me that he had had no letters for six weeks. Forty-two days. That seems a terribly long time out here, you know. A few days after I saw him again and asked if he had heard from his girl. He said no very sullenly, but later over a glass of beer he mentioned that his father had written to say his girl had been misbehaving herself. The poor fellow seemed stunned with the news. After vainly trying to cheer him up, I went back to dinner. The next morning I did not see him, being on Montevilla duty, but the following morning I was at headquarters when an urgent call came for an ambulance. My car happened to be just going, so I took the trip. Where was the house, I asked? Just over there where the man is waving. It was the house of my friend. Need I end the story? A broken man who had worked valiantly for twelve months under hellish conditions to defend his country had shot himself. We lifted him onto a stretcher, then feeling pretty badly, and with the doctor's urgent warning against loss of time ringing in my ears, we, number ten and I, sped away to B. They took him out of my car, read the little pink fiche which is attached to every wounded soldier, and filled in by the doctor who has dressed him in the first poste de secure, and then exchanged glances. I knew those glances not only meant that life was nearly extinct, but that it did not much matter whether he recovered or not, as he would get six years' imprisonment if he got well for attempted suicide, and that sentence, in wartime, means constant first-line trench work. I followed him into the operating room, where he opened his eyes, and I think he recognized me. His lips moved, but I don't know. The other night came a hurried call to Croix-Bois for a poor fellow who had kept his grenade too long and was very badly shattered. Just a chance if you get him to the hospital quickly, said the doctor. 
how many times i have felt quite elated at this injunction and literally flown to the belleville hospital but in this instance i had that horrible sense of hopelessness it was dark and quite impossible to make belleville under an hour and a quarter the poor fellow died before i could get there Today I took all the carbon out of the car and put in a new commutator. A quiet and lonely day. I feel homesick. The German offensive, which I thought might take place yesterday, did not. The French got news of the fact and of the hour that they proposed to attack, and five minutes beforehand the 75s opened up and catching many of the Germans already in their first line of trenches, so demoralized them as to wholly disrupt their intention. We had only about ten wounded, but goodness knows how many they lost. September 6th. I forgot to mention a very important event in the history of the section. After the Blenot attack, Walter and I went to see the damage done. We found the havoc was pretty bad. We were talking to some men who had actually been in a room where a shell exploded and had not even been wounded, when a soldier joined us and, speaking in good English, asked if we would like to have some English papers. Although we felt pretty sure they wouldn't contain very recent news, we had to show an eager appreciation and asked him if he would go and fetch them. We followed him to his lodging. He presently emerged with a large parcel of quite old papers and began chatting with us. London was mentioned, and we soon discovered that he had been chef for some friends of mine, and had, after leaving them, become chef to Lord Fisher. I think I told you that our chef was an undertaker before the war, and his cooking was such that we wonder he did not achieve a lot of patrons in our section. When we got back to the bureau, we decided to ask the governor of Pont-à-Mousson to allow us to have Cosson, for that was his name, as our chef, and of course our request was immediately acceded to. So now we are having food deluxe, and the singe, as they call the American tinned meat we have to eat every other meal, was quite delicious as a curry last night. September 8th. I hope I have not missed today's mail. I may have done so, as I hear our letters are kept for some time before being forwarded. In case I have, it will be September 27th or so before you get this, and I shall perhaps have started home on leave. And though as the time approaches for me to go, I doubt more and more whether I can actually break away. The only possibility of real contentment now for anyone who cares for France or England is to stay until their just cause is victorious, or, as in many a case, alas, until the call to eternal peace. Every soldier is dreading the winter here, and secretly fosters the almost hopeless wish and belief that there will be no winter campaign. However, as day passes day and all preparations for one go forward to completion, the French, with their wonderful pluck and determination, will resign themselves to the inevitable. The other day a poilu, who was standing as usual with eight or nine others around my car at X, suddenly expressed this compensating thought. Well, it may be hard for us French this side of Europe, but what a time the Boches will have in Russia! and the idea quite cheered up the little party. Yesterday I had a sudden call to fetch three badly wounded. One of them was in great pain from a wound in the back, and the slightest jostle or bump I knew would cause him great agony. The doctor, pointing to one of the other two, said, 
you must get him to the operating room as quickly as you can but i answered i dare not go fast this poor chap is in such condition the doctor shrugged his shoulders but the man who was suffering had heard go as fast as you can my friend it won't kill me i did so and the bumps were bad the poor fellow could not help uttering cries from time to time before i arrived at belleville the cries had ceased as the great pain had made him unconscious the badly wounded man was dead c'est la guerre said the doctor to whom i told the story and i left him washing his hands for the operation i have just heard an amusing fragment a german prisoner lately taken was seated in the telephone office at montavilla waiting to be transported he had stamped on his uniform buttons an iron cross and the french were asking him why he wore it he explained that it was the right of a section who had earned the iron cross to do so the frenchman started chaffing him he could understand and speak french and a jocular remark not particularly complimentary to the kaiser was cut short by the prisoner who nervously looking around the room said in an awed whisper oh if the kaiser should hear of your talking this way mein gott the other day i paid a visit to the hospital at l and found all the wounded only very serious cases stay here quite happy and buoyant and the men who had been evacuated in my car never failed to remind me and thank me one young fellow about my own age had had his left leg amputated i sat by his bed and chatted with him and he told me of his wife a year and a half married and of his child whom he had not yet seen he was so very eager that somehow the pity of it made me turn aside for a second and look out of the window quick of perception out went his hand to mine oh she will understand camarade he said smiling she will love me just the same she is a frenchwoman how can one help caring for france and french people they have such keen appreciation of the value of sympathy and gratitude here in the midst of torturing death they at least are cheerful and having put aside the barrier of selfishness are wholly simple and direct in their human relations the fact that on every side there is daily evidence of this attitude in spite of so bitter and costly a struggle is high proof of the fineness of their civilization End of part four. <laughs>